We will remain standing for the reading of God's Word on which the sermon today is based. And it's from John chapter 4. We look at uh, verse 31 to 42. Here's the Word of God. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the sayings holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believe in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Please be seated. The word of the Lord. Friends, we live in a pluralistic world. You go to any campus in Melbourne, if you go to your workplace, you will see people of various beliefs and religions, or perhaps none of them, and they call themselves religious nuns, actually. And in cultures like that in Australia, many people cannot accept the fact that Christians would tell them about Christ. Many people cannot fathom that we as believers in Christ Jesus would evangelize, would witness Christ to them. Many of them say, you know what? If you think that Christianity works for you, that's fine, but keep it to yourself. Do not try to convert people to your religion because that's narrow-minded, that's bigoted, that's not supposed to happen in a secular, pluralistic, post-Christian society like Australia. I don't know how many of you have heard that statement said to you and, and perhaps kind of influenced the way we think about evangelism. The thing, that the, uh, the perspective that influenced the way we think about witnessing, and that, that's why we're not doing that. But friends, we cannot understand Christi Christianity without witnessing, without evangelism, without harvesting, because to change one thing, that one thing is to change everything that is about Christianity. Somebody put it like this, it's like saying, I like everything about ice cream except that the fact it is frozen. See, if you buy a cone of ice cream and it's not frozen, it may be called 
a pudding or a dessert, but it's nothing uh, like uh, an ice cream anymore, right? An ice cream is an ice cream because it is frozen. Christianity is Christianity because it is the good news that will be shared. It's, it's a news. And that's why it is always shared to those who haven't heard the news. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, it is clear, if you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, you would know that Jesus clearly demands in this passage again and again that we do evangelism, we do what he calls harvesting. The purpose of the whole passage is to tell us that Jesus has evangelized this Samaritan woman, brought her to faith, and in turn, she's, as we look, we look at today, bringing other people to faith so that they also become believers in Jesus Christ. And then we see that Jesus also rebukes his disciples for not having that same eagerness, that same heart for harvesting. You know, he's basically saying to the disciples, the joy of harvesting and if you do not know that, then you do not know what it means to have a truly satisfying life in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at this passage today under three uh, subheadings. Number one, what harvest, harvesting is. And then secondly, how we do harvesting. And the last one, why we should do harvesting. So what it is, how we do it, and why we should do it. Let's, let's, let's start. What is harvesting? If you, if you were uh, with us, I think, two weeks ago, you go, you're going to know that John chapter 4 is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus ever had with anyone in the Bible. And so that's why we broke down this, this long passage into three sermons. So the, the first third of that sermon, two weeks ago, we saw uh, Jesus uh, offered this living water to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman obviously said, uh, give me that water if I don't have to uh, feel thirsty again, if I don't have to draw this water again from the wa well. Give me that water. And Jesus said, okay, bring your husband and come back here. And obviously, she said, I had no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband because you have had five husbands and the man you're living with at the moment is not your husband. So what's happening? What's happening there? In that conversation, Jesus showed her that the water he was talking about is not physical water, but it's a spiritual water. It's about soul satisfaction the satisfaction of the thirst of the soul. And he's basically telling this Samaritan woman that he, she's been looking satisfaction in man, in romance, in sexual relationships, and that's why she's been sleeping around in her town. She was shocked because Jesus knew all that. And then because of that discomfort that she felt, she kind of 
change the subject and talk about uh, theological stuff, the worship, whether it's going to happen in uh, Jerusalem or elsewhere. And Jesus said, if my hour has come and it is coming now, you're going to worship not in those places, but you're going to worship me because I am he, the Messiah, that you've been waiting for. And at that point, the disciples returned from getting the food for Jesus and for themselves in verse 27. And, and that's, that's how we saw a subplot that we just read uh, before from verse 32 onwards. And the disciples were surprised to see that Jesus was talking to a woman because we heard two weeks ago that there was a racial barrier between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. There was a gender barrier because a man shouldn't be talking to a woman in public. And also there's a social barrier because this Samaritan woman was at the bottom of the social food chain in Samaria because of his promiscuous lifestyle. But then Jesus um, taught these disciples of his that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He's saying that what gives him energy, what gives him sustenance is doing the work that God has given him. And this work is called harvesting or spiritual sowing and reaping because there is fruit of eternal life that he was talking about. And then what's happened next in verse 29, this woman left her water jug and went into town telling everyone about what just happened to her. That, that's the story uh, where we are right now. What's interesting, if you notice uh, this passage, Jesus had to pass through Samaria, verse 4 of chapter 4, to redeem this woman who brought her entire town to Christ with her testimony. But just as important, Jesus had to pass through Samaria to be able to teach his disciples about the importance of harvesting, about the importance of evangelism. When Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, he's basically saying, my energy, my nourishment comes not from the burger and fries that you brought home or from the whatever pizza and beer that you brought me. No, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. It's the will of God that nourishes him. And friends, the will of God should nourish us as the food that we have three times a day. The word of God is not medicine that upsets us, but it's a refreshment for our soul. And many of us famish. Many of us are undernourished because we're not eating the food that Jesus eats, and the food is to do the work of evangelism. That's why in the Old Testament, God said that man does not live by bread alone, and that, that was quoted by Jesus, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. 
So this is not something that is optional. It is something that he commanded us to do, and he modeled that through the to the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman then modeled that in her life. So what is the definition of harvesting? The definition of harvesting is about sowing and reaping. Two parts of that. Spiritual sowing is about pointing people to Jesus, and spiritual reaping is seeing them actually believe in Jesus and respond to the word of God in faith and repentance. So if you are doing harvesting, that means you appoint your friends to Jesus. And if you're reaping, you are seeing them actually becoming believers just like you. Jesus is telling the disciples that we have to be public with our faith pointing them to Christ through the way we do our work, through the words that we actually say to them verbally. And this is not optional. He calls us to do that and to do that every single day. Hudson Taylor, one of the missionaries that opened the door for the gospel to enter China, he once wrote this, this real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. Let me repeat that again. The real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. What he meant was because we do not want to do the will of God and we do our own agenda and ambition and wishes, that's why we have unsatisfying life and we try to satisfy our lives with all the things that the world can give and we remain disappointed and Jesus said the food that nourishes you is to do the will of God and that is harvesting so that is what harvesting means let's uh, look at the second point and the first point was short Second point is a bit longer, um, hopefully not much longer, but a bit longer. How do we do harvesting? Now, friends, the answer to that question uh, is on first 28, 29, 30, which we did not read uh, today. But it, it, it says there in, in verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come! See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. What can we learn from that interaction about how we do harvesting? Well, there are at least three things. We can extend it to seven, but I think there are at least three things, three attitudes, three um, hard behaviors, if you like. The first one is that she simply became an authentic person. She was just being who she was. You see, when, when she went to town, she did not have a set of bullet points. She did not preach a sermon, like what I'm doing at the moment. She's not explaining heavy theology, like the panel substitutionary atonement or the Trinity, Trinitarian doctrine. No, she's just saying what just happened to her. That's how authentic she was. She simply 
telling people what's going on in her lives. There was a man who knew everything about me. She, he knew that I had had uh, five husbands, and the man that I'm living with at the moment is not my husband. He knew everything about me. You see, in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believe in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. See that, that word testimony? That word marturia in Greek? Apostle John repeated that uh, authenticity of the Samaritan woman. He told me all that I ever did. So friends, if you testify to someone about Christ, it's not so much different when you have to testify in a court of law. You basically just provide a first-hand authentication of an important and relevant fact that you know personally. You're saying this thing happened, it was 10 p.m., and I was here in the living room, and then suddenly I heard a loud noise. You just told the court what happened based on your senses, your experience. The same with witnessing. He said, you know, my life was like this before, and this happened to me, and now I suddenly had this calmness, this peace in my heart, and overcoming my anxiety. She noticed that she left her water jar. She went back to town, and she talked to the people she knew because she was so excited. She never experienced something like that. You know, she came to the well at noon to draw the water, and that's so significant to her, but she forgot about the water jar because she was now so excited, and she's filled with this um, desire to tell others about what just happened to her. What she said was that Jesus didn't care about the barriers between him as a man, as a Jewish rabbi, and the Samaritan woman who was at the bottom of the social ladder. But Jesus did not care about all those barriers because he just reached right through every one of those barriers to talk to her about the living water, about the soul satisfaction that is himself. And do you notice something perhaps uh, often uh, neglected in our reading of John uh, chapter 4? This conversation with Samaritan woman happened when he, Jesus was alone because he sent all the 12 disciples to get some food. Right? Now, think about this. These 12 men went to go and buy some food for 13 men, so themselves, including Jesus. Could Jesus have sent only three people? Like Peter, John, and James, go and buy pizza and beer, or burger and fries, or fish and chips. No, but he sent all of them. Why did he do that? The reason why he did that was because so that he can have his time alone with this woman to confront her and to point her to the living water that is himself. Because he knew he would talk about something that is so personal, i.e. her personal sins, her idols, and he would know 
that he would, be, uh, he would need to be alone with this woman. See, friends, I think that's what made this Samaritan woman so excited to tell everyone about what happened to her. She was just being authentic. See, being public with your faith means you just have to tell people what you experience with Christ. It simply means not hiding what your heart felt the first time you met Christ. It's not hiding your heart. It's not hiding what is it that changed your life upside down 180 degrees. You're not hiding from other people who you really are. You let them know how you make decisions, how you solve your problems. See, if, if, if you have friends, and obviously we all have friends either at work or on campus who are not Christians because we live in a post-Christian society. And the closer you are to that person, right, the more you're going to share about your issues in life. Now, if you're a Christian and Jesus is so important in your life, and you talk about your problems, but you never talk about how Jesus helps you, how God's Word guides you into that problem-solving that you do, then you're basically hiding who you truly are. That you are being dishonest with them and said, oh, you know, finally I made that decision. Oh, you finally, that problem solved uh, itself. But the truth of the matter is, you prayed to God. You asked Jesus to give you the strength to go through that problem, but you never told anyone about that part. So if you don't disclose the fact that Jesus is an important part of your life, Jesus is the solution to your problem, Jesus is the reason why you make certain decisions, if you never told anyone about any of that, really there are only two options. Number one, you're not truly a Christian. Or secondly, which is more like it, you are hiding the fact that you are Christian. You are being dishonest with your friend. How you deal about your problems, how you make your decisions in life. So let's model this woman. The second one that uh, she did, the second attitude, she was so direct. She, she said, come, see a man. And that's, by the way, the, where I got the uh, title for the whole sermon series from the Gospel of John. Come and see Jesus. It was from this Samaritan woman's reaction. Come and see a man. She doesn't say, come with me to a seminar. Come read this book. Come and listen to the three-part talk that I will give you. No, no, he, she did not say that. She just said, come see Jesus. Simple as that. So many of us are not doing evangelizing, are not doing uh, witnessing because we, we, we said, uh, look, I do not know a lot about the gospel. I do not know how to answer people's difficult questions. But look at this woman. She just became a Christian. She didn't know a lot about Christian theology, but what she did was just come and see Jesus. I want you to meet him. I want you to meet. I mean, obviously, we can't uh, ask people to meet Jesus physically today, but we can 
asked them to come and see Jesus in his word. We can ask them to come and see Jesus on Sunday service like this. Even though this woman is new to Christianity, she became a powerful witness. There are research studies that show the most fertile moment for any Christian to be witnesses for the gospel is the first two years of their lives. Why? Because in those first maybe one or two years, they become a Christian, they still have a lot of non-Christian friends. After two years, suddenly their close friends become Christians. They all... Um, focusing on the Christian circle and they have no one outside their Christian circle. So the first two years of your Christian journey with Christ, I think that's the most important time where you can actually witness to a lot of your non-Christian friends. But what, if, what about if, oh, no, I have been Christians for a, long, a, lot, uh, a longer time than that, not, not just two years. Well, you can still do that, uh, just like this uh, Samaritan uh, woman. See, she uh, actually understood the essence of Christianity as different from other religions. You know, other religions, their founders never say, believe in me. They always point to a system of salvation. They always point to the way of salvation. So for example, Buddha would say, here is the eightfold path of enlightenment. Muhammad would say, these are the five pillars. Lao Tzu would say, this is the Tao Te Ching, right? The way of heaven and so on and so forth. But Jesus is completely different. He said, I am the way. So if you want to be a Buddhist, you don't have to know Buddha. You don't have to know about uh, Muhammad if you want to be a Muslim. But if you want to be a Christian, you got to know Christ. Because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life itself. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And so this Samaritan woman, she was just so direct. So she was uh, authentic, she was direct, and she was courageous. That's the third uh, thing that she did. The main reason this uh, woman's witness was effective is that she was so courageous. See, before, the reason why she came to the well at noon was because she wanted to avoid meeting anyone, right? She didn't even want to speak to other women in the village. But now, she is completely changed. This, this enthusiasm that she had caused her to jump the common social hurdles of the day. Because remember, women did not normally talk to men, but now she didn't care. Just like Jesus did not care about talking to her, now she did not care about talking to men. She went into town and talked to everyone. And obviously, the town people might say, this is a woman with a dodgy character, and now she's getting crazy. She, she's talking about this man who knew everything about 
her life, but she did not care about all that. You see, friends, if you want to uh, witness about Christ, about our faith, there's always a social race, right? No matter where you are, whether you are at the top of the social ladder, your middle class, or if you are at the bottom of the social ladder like this woman, there's always a race, right? What if my boss doesn't like what I'm doing? What if uh, I lose my friends because of uh, what, what I've done? There's always a race. But you see this woman, if, because of the enthusiasm that she had, finding and meeting Jesus personally, she did not care about all that. Are you that enthusiastic about your faith? Are you that excited about Christ? She was not sharing the gospel because of superiority. That one thing for sure, we know. You know, people always accuse Christians who evangelize that we are so narrow-minded, we think that we are superiors, and that's why we share about our faith, asking people to come to Christ. But look at this woman. She's not superior. She did not feel that she's better than anyone. In fact, it's the other way around. She knew who she was at the bottom part of the social uh, ladder, but now she did not care. Note that Jesus never commanded this woman, now go and tell others about me. She, he never did that. The Samaritan woman was not asked by Jesus to go to the townspeople. She did not do it under pressure. She did not do it because of guilt. She did not do it because of fear of not getting the blessings of Jesus. No. She just did it because of her enthusiastic courage. She's just so grateful of what she experienced, and she did it. A commentator wrote this. The disciples had just been down to the town. They knew that their master, uh, they knew their master much longer and better. But look at the difference. The disciples brought back some loaves and that was all, loaves of bread. But the women went down to town and she brought back a lot of people. Friends, would you try to witness, to harvest authentically, directly, and courageously like this written woman. The last point, why do we do harvesting? Well, certainly not because we are narrow-minded or we are superior, but because there is this good news that we want to share. And people, see, something is news because people haven't heard of that. So that's why we say, oh, that's news to me. Have you heard of that statement? That's news to me because we never heard that before. And there are some news that are so important, especially the good ones that we just have to tell people. See, I, I work as a researcher and, and part of my research or the main part of my research is uh, servant leadership. Years ago in 2005, you know, I actually developed a, a measurement instrument of servant leadership behaviors. And I was helping this organization uh, in Victoria, which I uh, re uh, shall keep nameless, uh, that had a terrible, terrible work culture. So what I did 
because I was sure that my research on servant leadership would help organizations to have a positive, inclusive uh, work culture. And obviously, I should share about my findings. There's nothing narrow-minded about that, right? Because I was sure that this will help them to be a better organization, to be a better manager, and surely I had to tell them about my research. Now, suppose I'm a medical researcher and I found a new cure for cancer. Do you think I'm narrow-minded if I'm telling people, here is the new cure of cancer that I've been studying over the past 20 years and it's now available? Now, you may disagree that that would cure cancer. You may retest you know, all the things that I've done, but you don't say that I'm narrow-minded, right? See, we, we're not doing half a thing because we are narrow-minded, but because we are so excited about what has happened to us. See, how was it possible that Jesus gave this living water to somebody with a dodgy character, dodgy moral track record like this? Because the answer is in that word, or in that phrase, the hour. In verse 21 that we saw last week, Jesus said to the woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now, I'm sure the woman did not understand fully what it actually meant, but whenever the Apostle John used the phrase, the hour, it always refers to the death of Christ. The death of Christ on the cross that made all the temples obsolete. The death that we deserve under the holy wrath of God so that we can have life. Jesus went to the cross and up there he said, I thirst. And he thirsts so that we can have a living water. So how, why this woman do harvesting? Because she experienced something so beautiful, just incredibly beautiful, and that's why she had to grab someone and tell that experience. See, friends, if you, if you um, witness something beautiful, maybe it's a landscape. You went to see a, a, a great uh, tree or a great park or a great view. You want to tell others, look, look at that. That's so magnificent. Maybe you hear a piece of music and you were so moved by that and you want people to uh, experience that as well. If you watched the Matildas last night, who after that male biting moments of uh, the penalty uh, shoot for so long, right? And then they finally won. You know, this enthusiasm. You always want to share that with someone. I mean, it's not fun to just look at that uh, alone in your room and say, oh, this is great. You want to call someone? That's why people go to Fed Square. They go to public places so that they can have fun telling others about the enthusiasm. And I just wish that if we could bottle that enthusiasm of people watching Matilda's and then drink it and then use it to evangelism, uh, for evangelism, that would be great, wouldn't it? See, if you love something, you just desperately need to share that. And this woman saw a beauty that would cause her to drop everything, the water jar that represents his, her life. She dropped that and she went out and told people about Christ.
So friends, let us respond to God's word today. If you are not a Christian yet, you have to understand that Christianity demands conversion and therefore evangelism. If you delete that, then it's not Christianity anymore. If you are a Christian today, let me ask you this. Do you eat the food that Jesus had? Do you have the joy of this sense of mission that will give you this satisfying life? This is the food that, that nourishes you. If you haven't done it, no wonder your Christian life is so dry. Maybe you have to go out there and start thinking about how you met Christ and just told people what happened to your life. Let us respond to God like that. Let us pray.